0: Hello there, and welcome to the 86th episode of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. All right, so this week we got injury updates regarding Tameza, Nate Pearson, what their statuses are, when we could see them back um, pitching again. Then we're going to get into, unfortunately, Toronto's struggling offense, specifically Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Oscar Hernandez and Lourdes Guriel Jr. And then we're gonna discuss the road ahead, how the Blue Jays are gonna wrap up this mini two-game set with the Cardinals on Tuesday before getting a day off Wednesday and heading out to La La Land to face the Angels. So let's dive in. Alright, so first things first, we got the injury updates, starting with Tim Meza, who stayed back in Toronto. Uh, while the team is out on this road trip here. And he's going to begin a throwing program uh, while the Blue Jays are on their road trip. And it sounds like there's a very good chance by the time the team returns home, Tim we will either be activated then or shortly afterwards as well, which is very good news for the Blue Jays' bullpen because... They dearly miss him, and um you know that's only been magnified by the fact that Jimmy Garcia has struggled lately, especially in high leverage spots. uh Trevor Richards has been a little iffy with his fastball command, and so you know and 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 then you have Ryan Barki, too, who is basically just a lefty specialist, but because you don't have Tim. Mayza, you kind of have to use him in a, in a role that isn't just against left-handed batters, which, as we saw Monday night, doesn't always go so well. Um... For those of you who missed it, Ryan Brookie was on the mound when Paul Goldschmidt hit a walk-off grand slam in extra innings to end the game, and that was large in part, well, it was a little bit of mismanagement from Charlie Montoyo and the coaching staff regarding the bullpen, but also, Ryan Brookie didn't really do a whole lot of adjusting um, against Paul Goldschmidt, who historically is a really good low-ball hitter. And as I'm watching the game Monday night, I'm thinking two things first. I'm thinking, one, why was David Phelps taken out of the game for Ryan Barucky? And, you know, Joe Siddle made a good point about it and that it was probably about Phelps's pitch count and the fact that he had pitched the day before. Um... But, you know, it's also the fact that, too, the Blue Jays didn't want to use Jordan Romano in a tie game in extra innings or in the ninth inning because it didn't work out for them in Houston, which is head-scratching, to say the least. Because, you know, I like to think the Blue J.C. Romano as more than just a closer, like in general too, I think the closers tag or name or role, whatever you want to refer to it as, it's changed in the last few years where normally a few years ago and and beyond that as well, you would only use your closer if you had a lead in the ninth inning. And it's just, that's not the case anymore, or at least it shouldn't be. It should be where you just have a bunch of guys who are high leverage options. Some you trust more and save situations more than the other. But, you know, for a guy like Romano, and granted, he has pitched a fair bit since coming back from his GI infection. So, um... I can understand wanting to maybe give him the day off when you don't have a lead, but to say you didn't want to use him because it didn't work out in Houston is is laughable to me. I think that's ridiculous, especially when you're without a guy like Tim Mesa, when your bullpen is already thin as it is. And, you know, when you have to use Julian Merriweather in the ninth inning, and Ryan Barucki in the 10th inning. And you ultimately lose the game. And and not just on the pitching either, because the offense didn't show up either. And I'll get into that in a, in a little bit here. But, you know, I, I, I think the Blue Jays coaching staff deserves a bit of blame here for the loss that they suffered in the opener against St. Louis. Um, now, hopefully... Implosions at the back end of their bullpen won't happen as often once Tim comes back. Um, But it it further points to the fact that the Blue Jays really need either someone to emerge as a strikeout weapon out of their bullpen. Say an 8 Pearson who uh, is set to begin a rehab assignment with the Dunedin Blue Jays later this week. He threw a bullpen session over the weekend that went well down there. So we are going to see him get into some games here really soon, which is very encouraging because, like I said, he's somebody who, you know, the Blue Jays are working him up to be this multi-inning reliever. But um, there's no question that if, He's effective and accurate with his command. He can generate a lot of swings and misses at the major league level with that fastball and that slider. Uh, and the changeup too, it's coming along nicely as well. But al- along those same lines, this is something that the Blue Jays are going to have to uh, explore at the trade deadline. They, they need more strikeout stuff in their bullpen uh, because they don't have a lot of it they they thought they were going to get a little bit of that from Jimmy Garcia and that just hasn't worked out the way they've wanted so far he's been decent but he hasn't been effective in the way of strikeouts and that's really what made him who he was last year so I'm a little concerned that that hasn't come to pass just yet hopefully it does You know when everything's said and done but you know Adam Simber as good as he is he's not a strikeout pitcher you know uh, when Trevor Richards can't control his fastball effectively at the top of the zone and set up his changeup he's not generating many swings and misses either Um, and give him credit Jordan Romano is a really good strikeout pitcher but you know he can't be the only guy either So, you know, you you need one more high leverage arm to join that group. Again, it could be Nate Pearson, it could be somebody else, but you need to have somebody who's able to consistently record strikeouts in high leverage spots because, like we saw Monday night, when Julian Merriweather came into the game, and granted, he got out of that tough jam, but... That was a situation where you needed a strikeout pitcher to come into the game. Same thing in the 10th inning. You needed a strikeout guy to come in and get you out of that spot. And the Blue Jays just don't really have that in their bullpen right now. Um, And that was something I was a little concerned about coming out of the offseason. Is that they didn't load up their bullpen enough. Um, You know, you look over to a team like the Yankees. Who... Their bullpen, even with Aroldis Chapman struggling mightily in closing situations, putting that aside, they have so many weapons coming out of that bullpen, and it, it's got taken down a peg too with Chad Green undergoing Tommy John surgery and losing him, but even without Green and with Chapman struggling, they still have guys like Clay Holmes, Jonathan Loisaga, and many more who come out. In relief and are absolutely nasty and are untouchable and rack up the K's and uh, that's just you know that's something the Blue Jays need to work towards throughout this season and you know if they can add an arm at the deadline and include Nate Pearson into their bullpen they're miles ahead of where they are right now in that department so um, you know that's just. something to monitor as we move forward here but it is a very good sign that both Meza and Pearson are progressing fairly well uh, as we near the end of May. Now this is the part of the episode where we have to dive into the offense here and we already sort of did a little bit by uh, hashing out Monday night's game but we got to get deeper um, into this dire problem that the Blue Jays have, and and that they've been experiencing for most of this season. Aside from you know the first few weeks of the season where they mashed pretty well, um, but since then it's kind of gone south. And you know there are a lot of factors to that. We've talked about them before, right? The injuries. Um, to Teosco Hernandez and Danny Jansen but it's more than just that too and pitchers have adjusted to this lineup they're no longer this new kid on the block that you don't know much about right you know who these players are and give them credit pitchers are are doing their jobs against this offense for the most part right Bob Schett's hitting really well this month one of the few hitters in this lineup, that is doing well. George Springer is having some nice moments too. Matt Chapman, um, you know, he still hasn't completely awoken yet, but he is taking some positive steps forward. And you know, like we've talked about before, his uh, ed- 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 expected numbers are off the charts, and he's destined to break out eventually. Just not entirely sure when that's going to happen, but it will. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and Santiago Espinal as well, give him credit. Batting second Monday night too, did a pretty nice job. I wouldn't mind to see him stay in that spot for a little bit longer here. I kind of want to see what the Blue Jays can do with, you know, a, a top half of the, of the batting order that consists of Springer, Espinal, Vladdy, Bichette, Hernandez, um, and, and whatever the the rest of the lineup looks like, but those first five hitters, I'm really intrigued to see um, what they can do. You know, over a, a you know a, a reasonably sized um, amount of games. But as much as Espinal can get on base, and he's riding, I believe a, a 16 game hitting streak right now. Just unbelievable. But it's, it doesn't mean as much That hitting streak for Espinal When you have somebody like Vladi Who's struggling mightily at the plate Like We Have seen Vladi go through his fair share Of struggles at the major league level right? Especially when he came up In, in 2019 and, and the COVID-shortened 2020 season When, when Vladi was in terrible shape right, And struggled then But The slump he's in right now is arguably one of the worst of his career. Like over his last 65 plate appearances, which span across his last 15 games, Vladdy has 11 hits. All of them are singles. He doesn't have a single extra base hit over his last 15 games. Now, He's still getting his walks. He's got a 12.3% walk rate to just a 10.8%. But he's not doing all that much uh, offensively, aside from getting walks and and hitting hard contact, because his slash line over these last 15 games is just 200, 323, and 200. A 200 slugging percentage. What have we ever seen? Vladdy post a two hundred slugging percentage and a sixty-one way to runs a plus score. Sixty-one, and it gets worse too. Like I, I'm, I'm even hesitant to read off these stats because of how weird and boggling it is for. A player of Vladdy's caliber to be struggling like this offensively. Because, you know, despite posting a 52.1% hard hit rate during this span, Vladdy hasn't barreled up a single ball over his last 15 games. Not a single barrel. And he's got an average launch angle of negative one. Which, as a result, has seen him generate a ton of ground balls a 62.5% ground ball rate during this span compared to a 16.7% line drive rate and a 20.8% fly ball rate and it gets even worse here too because Vladdy's extending the strike zone more than he, knew, than he usually does he's got a 34% outside swing rate Compared to a 71.4% zone swing rate. And he's still not seeing a ton of pitches in the zone. Just 39.5%. Not swinging and missing a lot. But... Again, the biggest concern is... The fact that he's hitting so many balls on the ground. You know, like... Overall on the season so far. He's got a 51 point six percent ground ball rate a season ago that was at 44.8 percent we'll get into his launch angle here too because following monday night's performance his 3.9 degree average launch angle for the season ranks as the lowest of his career yeah lower than it was in 2020 when it was 4.6 degrees lower than it was when he first came up which sat at 6.7 degrees like these are unprecedented times for Vladdy, and the big thing is too the majority of his ground balls are coming against fastballs like this month alone he has a 73.1 ground ball rate against fastballs and you know When you you first hear that stat, you immediately think, okay, well, pitchers are throwing him a lot more fastballs low in the zone, right? That must be what it is. But that's not entirely true. Yes, pitchers are throwing Vladdy a lot more fastballs lower in the zone. But if we look at his heat map here, since May 7th, he's seen a lot of fastballs at the belt level, or higher. But yet, he's still smacking them into the ground. Really hardly, he's doing it. But he's still getting way too on top of balls. And I'm not exactly sure what the reason is for that. Because, you know, in previous years, we've seen um, Vladdy square up a lot more balls right and hit he's not a fly ball hitter he's more of a line drive hitter but you know the fact that he hasn't been able to get even with the ball lately is is very very concerning and it's really gonna take I think, a mental adjustment from Vladdy because the more he struggles, the more he's going to press, right? He's even admitted that uh, lately, is that especially when he sees runners in scoring position, he wants to put the onus on himself to break out of this slump and for the team. Um, So he... He gets a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more antsy and extends his own and, and swings at pitches that he shouldn't have. I mean, it, it was as evident as it was over the weekend, um, you know, against Cincinnati, where, you know, he was rolling over pitches so many times because he couldn't stay back. He, 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 he was too aggressive uh, and wanting to pull the ball instead of going the other way, which he's very good at. Um, and he's really doing it against fastballs. Fastballs, it seems to me, too, is that, you know, he's a lot more early on pitches, so he's trying to pull them. Um, whether or not that's an, uh, by purpose or, you know, it's just how much of a funk he is at the plate right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm not too sure. But to me, he needs to wait back a little bit more and think middle to right field. Um, You know, I I think that's a way for him to get back on track here. And that also gives him more time to see the pitch out of the hand too, because, um, you know, he is seeing a lot more breaking balls down in the zone, like really low and away from him too. So, you know, when, when you're really aggressive at the plate, And you're wanting to do damage and you're not giving yourself enough time to recognize the pitch out of the hand. When pitchers are primarily throwing you away, especially in these days when tunneling is such a priority, it's very difficult to determine whether or not it's a fastball or it's a soft uh, pitch, whether it's a breaking ball or an off speed pitch, if they're both in the same location and you're not waiting as long as you should to determine what pitch it's going to be, most of the time, you're going to roll over them or miss them entirely. Um, so, you know, similar to someone like Bichette who lets the ball travel really long, like probably longer than most hitters in the league. Maybe that's something Vladdy needs to start doing a little bit, because we've seen him just instantly be able to decide, okay, I'm no longer going to chase outside the zone. We've seen that, right? We saw that earlier in the season when uh, I believe it was the Yankees, the Blue Jays were facing at the time, and... You know, there was just one day Vladdy showed up to the ballpark and was like, OK, I'm not swing I'm not chasing at pitches anymore. That's it. I'm done. And, uh, you know, give him credit. He's he's been fairly effective at that, but he has gotten away from it a little bit uh, recently as well. Um, so, you know, I, I, he does need to give himself a little bit more time at the plate, too. But there are pitches as well that he's missing. Like right? we're we're seeing Vladdy foul off fastballs that he should be crushing, and we're seeing him miss hanging breaking balls too, and that's not something we've ever really seen from him, um, especially at this stage of his career. We, we've seen him hit them, hit those same pitches 400 plus feet. Um, so it it it's to me it's. Vladdy is too talented to struggle like this for an entire season but if the Blue Jays are going to improve offensively sooner rather than later it behooved them to start receiving more offensive production especially from a slugging standpoint From Laddie. And again, it's gonna take an adjustment against all pitches. Because Laddie's struggling against fastballs, breaking balls, and off-speed pitches right now. So it's gonna be I think it's gonna require a mental adjustment, but also a physical one too. Because you know like we're seeing right he's chopping at balls that are even high in the zone right now and, and he needs to lower his sights a little bit and and start lining balls up rather than just smashing them into the ground um and once he's able to do that then we'll start to see the blotty of old um but it's unfortunately it's just going to take some time um and it, it, it doesn't help that he's facing a, a really good pitching staff in the Cardinals, especially out of that bullpen. They have uh, a number of guys who throw nasty stuff, especially Ryan Helsley. We saw that Monday night where, you know, he has got an explosive fastball and a lethal slider too. Um, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but a few weeks ago, I wrote up an article on him, how he's, you know, one of the more underrated relievers in the majors um and by good measure too because uh even the cardinals are sleeping on him a little bit by not having him serve as their uh primary closer because he he is certainly capable of of, of performing in that type of role but nevertheless um it's not going to get any easier for this team either because they got to face jordan hicks on tuesday who's a flamethrower um, you know, and it's gonna be tough, you know, for Vladdy to let the ball travel a little bit more when you're facing like 100 miles per hour on average. Um, but that's, I, in my opinion, that's just something that he's gonna have to work on as we move forward here. And he's not the only player to struggle who's struggling at the plate either right now. You no, know, Teoscar Hernandez is another key player that has been just non-existent since coming off the IL and uh you know some of his struggles are understandable right like he did miss a significant amount of time not as long as it could have been especially considering he dealt with a oblique injury which are very sensitive soft, soft tissue uh injuries but you know at the same time too he's had a a considerable amount of time back you know he's he's logged already 57 plate appearances through 14 games since returning from the il um but his numbers are just pitiful uh during this stretch he's got a uh 091 123 and a 164 slash line during that stretch, just one double, one home run, four RBIs, and uh, a negative, negative 25 weighted runs, create a plus score, just a 131 Woba. Um, and the icing on the cake from a negative standpoint is he's got a 29.8% strikeout rate compared to just a 3.5% walk rate. Um, his plate discipline has been awful since returning. Um, and it hasn't really all that improved over time during this 14 game stretch, which is even more concerning. Um, you know, cause he's, he's extending the strike zone a lot, like almost half the time he's swinging out pitches outside the zone. He's got a 40. outside swing rate during this stretch compared to a uh, 79.3% zone swing percent and and he is swinging a lot too he's got a 60.6% swing percentage so he's swinging at pitches way more than half the time Uh, he's got a 20.7% swinging strike percentage so uh, it's a little on the high side as well um, and he's seeing a lot of pitches in the zone, too. Like, more than Vladi. Uh, almost at a 44% clip. So, you know, there's, there's no real reason for Teoscar to be extending the strike zone, either. And even when he does put the ball in play, almost two-thirds of the time, it's it's on the ground. He's got a 65.8% fly ball rate, or a ground ball rate, during the span. Just a 7.9% line drive rate and he's not hitting the ball hard either unlike vladdy he's just got a 39.5 percent hard hit rate um and he's only barreled up two balls over his last 38 batted ball events so uh not good not good at all um and it's worse when you have vladdy struggling too because um you know, prior to this little lineup change, Vladdy and Teoscar were three-four hitters. And when they're both struggling at the same time, that means you're getting next to zero offensive production from the middle of your order, which is why it's kind of important to put Vla- uh, put Bichette in the middle of Vladdy and Teoscar, and hopefully just you know provide a little bit more support for the two. Maybe that helps spark them. So that's why I really think it's probably a good idea to just keep that top five of Toronto's batting order intact for a little bit here and see if it can do any good because you weren't helping your team by having Vladi and Teoscar 3-4. Not the way they're playing. So it, it was worth shaking up uh and, and as a manager i mean you can't hit for these guys either so all you can really do is support them and and try and make adjustments to the lineup and uh and, and another guy too is is Lourdes Guriel Jr. i mean you know he 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 doesn't have the same expectations as Bichette and Springer and Vladdy and Teoscar do but You know, at at the same time as well, this is someone who the Blue Jays were hoping he was finally going to be able to turn a corner this season, right? Like, dating back to last season, Gurriel Jr. was one of the best hitters in the majors through the month of September. He was fantastic. Um... And it was for more than just, you know, like a one or two week stretch, which is mainly what we've only really seen um, from Guriel previously in his career when he's been successful. Like he really just, he, he get, he's one of those players who gets really hot for about one or two weeks and then cools off. But when he does cool off, he, he's below league average um that's that's what he's been throughout his career but again in September it was for like an entire month that he was effective um and he just he hasn't been able to put it together so far this year um you know through his first 39 games of the season he's logged 150 plate appearances but is only slashing at 225 average a 273 on base a 326 slugging it's got just two home runs a 101 iso a 261 bap a 268 woba a measly 72 weighted runs create a plus score um and you know similar to the rest of uh, uh the rest of the lineup or so, more so vladdy and Teoscar, oscar Lurdies is struggling to barrel up balls right now like he, he's he's only barreled up five balls across his first 113 batted ball events and that rounds out to just a 4.4 percent barrel rate which is the lowest of his career and it's it's not the fact that he's not hitting the ball in the air he is He's got a 40.7% fly ball rate on this season. That's the highest of his career since 2019. But it's just, you know, uh, he's not barreling up enough balls. That's that's really what it comes down to. Um, You know, it, it would be nice if he got some more walks, but that's just not traditionally who he is. He's not striking out more than he has in previous years. In fact, he's got a career best 18% strikeout rate. Um, You know, like that's the lowest of his career. But he's not hitting for contact. He's not hitting for power. And he's not even really showing any encouraging signs that he may potentially break out of this slump anytime soon. You know, like you look at his rolling expected slugging and his rolling expected Woba, and you know they're hovering around league average right now um you know because you look at his rolling expected numbers throughout previously in his career and you know there are a fair amount of spikes that he endures but that hasn't happened yet he's just been hovering around mediocre and less than mediocre um and it's kind of been a, a little bit of a disservice for him, too, because, you know, give him credit. He has improved in some areas, you know, like he's not chasing as much as we've seen him done in the past, um, you know, like similar to his strikeout rate. He's got a career best 28.5% chase rate this year, um, just a 22% whiff rate, which is also a career best for him. Um you know, like he, he, he's also improved his defense slightly as well. I think that's a little bit of the Blue Jays are positioning their outfielders in great spots as well, too. But um, his OAA right now ranks in the 23rd percentile. That's the highest it's ever been in his career before. Last season, his defense ranked in just the fourth percentile. So, you know, he is moving up in some categories, but, you know, from a slugging standpoint, that hasn't been the case so far. And again he, has, he isn't alone in that sense But you know if we look at a macro level Regarding this team The Blue Jays As a unit Aren't barreling up balls like they did last season You know if we, if we go back to 2021 The Blue Jays barreled up more balls Than anyone In the majors Overall, they barreled up 418 balls. That was two more than the Minnesota Twins. They had more barrels per plate appearance than anyone else in the league at 6.9. But that hasn't been nearly the case this season. Like, not even close. Like, granted, they're 11th in the majors in barrels per plate appearances. But they're 14th in the total amount of barrels they've produced. And considering where they were a season ago, like you just, you don't expect them to be average one season later. Especially when your offense on paper is better than it was a season ago. That's, That's the truth. That's the truth. It's honestly a better team. Than it was a season ago. It really is. Because. You know sure. I'll hear the arguments that you took out Marcus Simeon. Fine. But you also have to take into account too. That. Santiago Espinal. Arguably. Right now. Is giving you more offensive production than Marcus Simeon would and that's there's a little bit of truth too because you, you go look up how Marcus Simeon is doing this season it's not all that well Espinol is performing much much better than Simeon is this year and then you, fa- you have to factor into that The Blue Jays didn't get much offensive production out of their third base position last year. And they're not getting a ton this year, but that's not going to last. Because, again, Matt Chapman's expected numbers are much, much better than his uh, traditional ones. So he is going to finish the season with better overall results than he has right now. So, and you got a healthy George Springer. That's also a factor. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just... It's a very puzzling thing as to why the Blue Jays aren't slugging like everyone expects them to be. It's mind-boggling, honestly. And, uh, and it, the, the, the toughest thing is, at least for me is that you can't blame it on one thing. Like, there's not just one aspect you can point to and say, okay, this is what the Blue Jays are doing wrong. Fix this and everything will be better. You can't just say that because that's not true. There's multiple factors impacting this offense. And, And it's more than just one person that's struggling right now too. Um, you know, if anything, it's most of the lineup aside from, you know, Bichette, Espinal, and Springer occasionally too. Um, but it's just, you know, they're going to have to adjust, right? Pitchers have adjusted to this team and now it's the hitter's turn, right? We're, we're almost two months into the season and, and now it's time for the Blue Jays to make that adjustment, where you know they're swinging at better pitches, they're forcing pitchers back into the strike zone, and you know you're not helping pitchers out either when they're struggling, right? Like you're not swinging at pitter, at, at, at pitchers' pitches when you're up in the count, when you're at three and zero counts, when you're at two and zero counts, right? We've seen Vladdy and Teoscar and others help pitchers out when they when those same pitchers get behind in the counts you can't do that when you're struggling offensively and you know another thing i want to emphasize here too is the blue jays can still score more runs when they're not slugging like they should be and what i mean by that is they need to learn how to properly manufacture runs because there are going to be times too when even when you're at your best you can't slug your way to victory and that especially happens in the postseason where pitchers are at their best and they're lethal and you can't just you know hit home runs in the postseason you actually have to manufacture runs and it's better for the team to learn that now than have to learn that tough lesson when it counts in October and November. So, you know, like, for example, Monday night's game, right? There, were, there was an opportunity in extra innings for the Blue Jays to manufacture a lead. But they didn't do it. Because you had... Springer at second base as part of the the extra inning rule. Espinel was at the plate. Espinel, who has been one of the better contact hitters on the team this season. He could have tried a little bit harder to try and push the ball to right field, which, you know, either could have helped him get a hit or at least advance Springer to third base with only one out. And that would have given you one, probably two opportunities to cash in that runner and take the lead. Which at that point, according to Charlie Montoyo's mantra, would have allowed you to bring Jordan Romano in, in the 10th inning, to face at the bottom of the order it was bottom then top in that spot. Instead, you had to bring in Phelps and and, and Barucki. And look how that went. Didn't go very well. So, you know, especially against quality pitching staffs, this team needs to learn how to manufacture runs more consistently. Because they've done it at times, right? They even did a little bit in that same game. Right, where they were patient at the plate and they forced two walks or two runs in via walks. But that's all they could muster up. They, they they couldn't get that one breakthrough hit that would have broken the game wide open. But they at least manufactured a lead. But they weren't able to do that during a high leverage spot late in the game, which could have allowed them to steal that game. So you know, I, I, I'm sure, I, actually, I'm, I'm more than sure, I'm confident that the Blue Jays' coaching staff knows that and is preaching that to their hitters as well. Like, I'm sure they're doing many other things regarding their offense as well. But, in particular, that's something I hope this team improves on as the season continues so that, you know, cross our fingers... When we get to the playoffs, if this team is struggling to slug its way to victory, they'll know how to manufacture some wins as well. But that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next week for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. But until that time, I'm your host, Thomas Hall. And now you're up to date. And please remember, wear a mask, wear it properly, and get vaccinated. Thanks for listening.